0: chapter twelve part three of smoke blue by jack london this librivox recording is in the public domain one night smoke was awakened by a sound of struggling distinctly he heard a gasping and strangling from where mccann slept kicking the fire into flame by its light he saw libisqui her hands at the irishman's throat and forcing from his mouth a chunk of partly chewed meat even as smoke saw this her hand went to her hip and flashed with the sheath knife in it the bisque smoke cried and his voice was peremptory the hand hesitated don't he said coming to her side she was shaking with anger but the hand after hesitating a moment longer descended reluctantly to the sheath as if fearing she could not restrain herself she crossed to the fire and threw on more wood mccann sat up whimpering and snarling between fright and rage spluttering in inarticulate explanation where did you get it smoke demanded feel around his body the said it was the first word she had spoken and her voice quivered with the anger she could not suppress mccann strove to struggle but smoke gripped him cruelly and searched him drawing forth from under his armpit where it had been thawed by the heat of his body a strip of caribou meat a quick explanation from the drew smoke's attention she had sprung to mccann's pack and was opening it instead of meat out poured moss, spruce, needles, chips, all the light refuse that had taken the place of the meat and given the pack its due proportion minus its weight. Again Libisque's hand went to her hip and she flew at the culprit only to be caught in smoke's arms where she surrendered herself sobbing with the futility of her rage. Oh lover it is not the food she panted it is you your life the dog he is eating you he is eating you we will yet live smoke comforted her hereafter he shall carry the flour he can't eat that raw and if he does i'll kill him myself for he will be eating your life as well as mine he held her closer sweetheart killing is men's work women do not kill you would not love me if i killed the dog she questioned in surprise not so much smoke temporized she sighed with resignation very well she said i shall not kill him the pursuit by the young men was relentless by miracles of luck as well as by deduction from the topography of the way the runaways must take the young men picked up the blizzard blinded trail and clung to it when the snow flew smoke and lobiski took the most improbable courses turning east when the better way opened south or west rejecting a low divide to climb a higher being lost it did not matter yet they could not throw the young men off sometimes they gained days but always the young men appeared again after a storm when all trace was lost they would cast out like a pack of hounds and he who caught the later trace made smoke signals to call his comrades on smoke lost count of time of days and nights and storms and camps through a vast and mad phantasmagoria of suffering and toil he and libisqui struggled on with mccann somehow stumbling along in the rear babbling of san francisco's everlasting dream great peaks pitiless and serene in the chill blue towered about them they fled down black canyons with walls so precipitous that the rock frowned naked or wallowed across glacial valleys where frozen lakes lay far beneath their feet and one night between two storms a distant volcano glared the sky they never saw it again and wondered whether it had been a dream crests were covered with yards of new snow that crusted and were snow-covered again there were places in canyon and pocket drifts where they crossed snow hundreds of feet deep and they crossed tiny glaciers and draughty rifts wind scurried and bare of any snow they crept like silent wraiths across the faces of impending avalanches or roused from exhausted sleep to the thunder of them they made fireless camps above timberline thawing their meat rations with the heat of their bodies ere they could eat and through it all libisqui remained libisqui her cheer never vanished save when she looked at mccann and the greatest stupor of fatigue and cold never stilled the eloquence of her love for smoke like a cat she watched the apportionment of the meagre ration and smoke could see that she grudged mccann every munch of his jaws once she distributed the ration the first smoke knew was a wild harangue of protest from mccann not to him alone but to herself had she given a smaller portion than to smoke after that smoke divided the meat himself caught in a small avalanche one morning after a night of snow and swept a hundred yards down the mountain they emerged half stifled in the hurt but mccann emerged without his pack in which was all the flour a second and larger snowslide buried it beyond hope of recovery after that though the disaster had been through no fault of his the bisquee never looked at mccann and smoke knew it was because she dared not it was a morning stark still clear blue above with white sun-dazzle on the snow the way led up a long wide slope of crust they moved like weary ghosts in a dead world no wind stirred in the stagnant frigid calm far peaks a hundred miles away studying the backbone of the rockies up and down were as distinct as if no more than five miles away something is going to happen the bisque whispered don't you feel it here there everywhere everything is strange i feel a chill that is not of cold smoke answered nor is it of hunger it is in your head your heart she agreed excitedly that is the way i feel it it is not of my senses smoke diagnosed i sensed something from without that is tingling me with ice It is a chill of my nerves a quarter of an hour later they paused for breath i can no longer see the far peaks smoke said the air is getting thick and heavy said the bisque it is hard to breathe there be three suns McCann muttered hoarsely reeling as he clung to his staff for support there was a mock sun on either side of the real sun there are five said the bisque and as they looked new suns formed and flashed before their eyes by heaven the sky is filled with suns beyond all countenance mccann cried in fear which was true for look where they would half the circle of the sky dazzled and blazed with new suns forming mccann yelped sharply with surprise and pain i am stung he cried out then yelped again then libisqui cried out and Smoke felt a prickling stab on his cheek so cold that it burned like acid it reminded him of swimming in the salt sea and being stung by the poisonous filaments of portuguese men-of-war the sensations were so similar that he automatically brushed his cheek to rid it of the stinging substance that was not there and then a shot rang out strangely muffled down the slope were the young men standing on their skis and one after another opened fire spread out smoke commanded and climb for it we're almost to the top they're a quarter of a mile below and that means a couple of miles to the start of them on the down-going of the other side with faces prickling and stinging from invisible atmospheric stabs the three scattered widely on the snow surface and toiled upward the muffled reports of the rifles were weird to their ears thank the lord smoke panted to lobisqui that four of them are muskets and only one a winchester besides all these sons spoil their aim they are fooled they haven't come within a hundred feet of us it shows my father's temper she said they have orders to kill how strange you talk smoke said your voice sounds far away cover your mouth lobisqui cried suddenly and do not talk i know what it is cover your mouth with your sleeve thus and do not talk mccann fell first and struggled wearily to his feet and after that all fell repeatedly ere they reached the summit their wills exceeded their muscles they knew not why save that their bodies were oppressed by a numbness and heaviness of movement from the crest looking back they saw the young men stumbling and falling on the upward climb they will never get here the bisque said it is the white death. i know it though i have never seen it i have heard the old men talk soon will come amiss unlike any mist or fog or frost smoke you ever saw few have seen it and lived mccann gasped and strangled keep your mouth covered smoke commanded a pervasive flashing of light from all about them drew smoke's eyes upward to the many suns they were shimmering and veiling the air was filled with microscopic fire glints the near peaks were being blotted out by the weird mist the young men resolutely struggling nearer were being engulfed in it mccann had sunk down squatting on his skis his mouth and eyes covered by his arms come on make a start smoke ordered i can't move mccann moaned his doubled body set up a swaying motion smoke went toward him slowly scarcely able to will movement through the lethargy that weighed his flesh he noted that his brain was clear it was only the body that was afflicted let him be lebisqui muttered harshly but smoke persisted dragging the irishman to his feet and facing him down the long slope they must go then he started him with a shove and the breaking and steering with his staff shot into the sheen of diamond dust and disappeared smoke looked at blibisqui who smiled though it was all she could do to keep from sinking down he nodded for her to push off but she came near to him and side by side a dozen feet apart they flew down through the stinging thickness of cold fire break as he would smoke's heavier body carried him past her and he dashed on alone a long way at tremendous speed that did not slacken till he came out on a level crusted plateau here he braked till the overtook him and they went on again side by side with diminishing speed which finally ceased the lethargy had grown more pronounced the wildest effort of will could move them no more than at a snail's pace they passed mccann again crouched down on his knees and smoke roused him with his staff in passing now we must stop Levisque whispered painfully or we will die we must cover up so the old man said she did not delay to untie knots but began cutting her pack-lashings smoke cut his and with a last look at the fiery death-mist and the mockery of suns, they covered themselves over with the sleeping furs and crouched in each other's arms they felt a body stumble over them and fall then heard feeble whimpering and blaspheming drowned in a violent coughing fit and knew it was mccann who huddled against them as he wrapped his robe about him their own lung strangling began and they were racked and torn by a dry cough spasmodic and uncontrollable smoke noted his temperature rising in a fever and libisqui suffered similarly hour after hour the coughing spells increased in frequency and violence and not till late afternoon was the worst reached after that the men came slowly and between spells they dozed in exhaustion McCann, however, steadily coughed worse, and from his groans and howls they knew he was in delirium. Once, Smoke made as if to throw the robes back, but L'Biscuit clung to him tightly. No, she begged, it is death to uncover now. Bury your face here, against my parka, and breathe gently, and do no talking. See, the way I am doing. They dozed on through the darkness, though the decreasing fits of coughing of one invariably aroused the other. It was after midnight, Smoke judged, when McCann coughed his last after that he emitted low and bestial moanings that never ceased smoke awoke with lips touching his lips he lay partly in libisqui's arms his head pillowed on her breast her voice was cheerful and usual the muffled sound of it had vanished it is day she said lifting the edge of the robes a trifle see o my lover it is day we have lived through and we no longer cough let us look at the world though i could stay here thus for ever and always this last hour has been sweet I have been awake and i have been loving you i do not hear mccann smoke said and what has become of the young men that they have not found us he threw back the ropes and saw a normal and solitary sun in the sky a gentle breeze was blowing crisp with frost and hinting of warmer days to come all the world was natural again mccann lay on his back his unwashed face swarthy from camp smoke frozen hard as marble the sight did not affect l'biscuit look she cried a snowbird. It is a good sign there was no evidence of the young men either they had died on the other side of the divide or they had turned back there was so little food that they dared not eat a tithe of what they needed nor a hundredth part of what they desired and in the days that followed wandering through the lone mountain land the sharp sting of life grew blunted and the wandering merged half into a dream smoke would become abruptly conscious to find himself staring at the never-ending hated snow-peaks his senseless babble still ringing in his ears and the next he would know after seeming centuries was that again he was roused to the sound of his own maunderings the bisque too was light-headed most of the time in the main their efforts were unreasoned automatic and ever they worked toward the rest and ever they were baffled and thrust north or south by snow-peaks and impassable ranges there is no way south the bisque said the old men know west only west is the way the younger men no longer pursued but famine crowded on the trail came a day when it turned cold and a thick snow that was not snow but frost crystals of the size of grains of sand began to fall all day and night it fell and for three days and nights it continued to fall it was impossible to travel until it crusted under the spring sun so they lay in their furs and rested and ate less because they rested so small was the ration they permitted that it gave no appeasement to the hunger pang that was much of the stomach but more of the brain and the biscuit, delirious maddened by the taste of her tiny portion sobbing and mumbling yelping sharp little animal cries of joy fell upon the next day's portion and crammed it into her mouth then it was given to smoke to see a wonderful thing the food between her teeth roused her to consciousness she spat it out and with a great anger struck herself with her clenched fist on the offending mouth it was given to smoke to see many wonderful things in the days yet to come after the long snowfall came on a great wind that drove the dry and tiny frost particles as sand is driven in a sandstorm all through the night the sand-frost drove by and in the full light of a clear and wind-blown day smoke looked with swimming eyes and reeling brain upon what he took to be the vision of a dream all about towered great peaks and small lone sentinels in groups and councils of mighty titans and from the tip of every peak swaying undulating flaring out broadly against the azure sky streamed gigantic snow banners miles in length milky and nebulous ever raving lights and shadows and flashing silver from the sun mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the lord smoke chanted as he gazed upon these desks of snow wind driven into sky scarves of shimmering silken light and still he gazed and still the bannered peaks did not vanish and still he considered that he dreamed until lebisquey sat up among the firs i dream lebisquey he said look do you do dream within my dream it is no dream she replied this have the old men told me and after this will blow the warm winds and we shall live and win west smoke shot a snowbird and they divided at once in a valley where willows budded standing in the snow he shot a snowshoe rabbit another time he got a lean white weasel this much of meat they encountered and no more though once half-mile high and varying toward the west and the yukon they saw a wild duck wedge drive by it is summer in the lower valley said libiscui soon it will be summer here libiscui's face had grown thin but the bright large eyes were brighter and larger and when she looked at him she was transfigured by a wild unearthly beauty the days lengthened and the snow began to sink each day the crust thawed, each night it froze again, and they were afoot early and late, being compelled to camp and rest during the midday hours of thaw, when the crust could not bear their weight. When smoke grew snow-blind, the towed him on a thong tied to her waist, and when she was so blinded she towed behind a thong to his waist, and starving in a deeper dream, they struggled on through an awakening land bare of any life save their own exhausted as he was grew almost to fierce sleep so fearful and bitter were the visions of that mad twilight land always were they of food and always was the food at his lips snatched away by the malign deviser of dreams he gave dinners to his comrades of the old san francisco days himself with whetting appetite and jealous eye directing the arrangements decorating the table with crimson-leafed runners of the autumn grape the guests were dilatory and while he greeted them and all sparkled with their latest cleverness he was frantic with desire for the table he stole to it unobserved and clutched a handful of black ripe olives and turned to meet still another guest another surrounded him and the laugh and play of wit went on while all the time hidden in his closed hand was this madness of ripe olives he gave many such dinners all with the same empty ending he attended gargantuan feasts where multitudes fed on innumerable bullocks roasted whole prying them out of smouldering pits and with sharp knives slicing great strips of meat from the steaming carcasses he stood with mouth agape beneath long rows of turkeys which white-aproned shopmen sold and everybody bought save smoke mouth still agape chained by a leadenness of movement to the pavement a boy again he sat with spoon poised high above great bowls of bread and milk he pursued shy heifers through upland pastures and centuries of torment in vain effort to steal from them their milk and in noisome dungeons he fought with rats for scraps and refuse there was no food that was not a madness to him and he wandered through vast stables where fat horses stood in mile-long rows of stalls and sought but never found the bran bins from which they fed once only he dreamed to advantage famishing shipwrecked or marooned he fought with the big pacific surf for rock climbing mussels and carried them up the sands to the dry flotsam of the spring tides of this he built a fire and among the coals he laid his precious trove he watched the steam jet forth and the locked shells pop apart exposing the salmon-coloured meat cooked to a turn he knew it and this time there was no intruding presence to whisk the meal away at last so he dreamed within the dream the dream would come true this time he would eat yet in his certitude he doubted as he was steeled for the inevitable shift of vision until the salmon-coloured meat hot and savoury was in his mouth his teeth closed upon it he ate the miracle had happened the shock aroused him he awoke in the dark lying on his back and heard himself mumbling little piggish squeals and grunts of joy his jaws were moving and between his teeth meat was crunching he did not move and soon small fingers felt about his lips and between them was inserted a tiny sliver of meat and in that he would eat no more rather than that he was angry libisqui cried and in his arms sobbed herself to sleep but he lay on awake marvelling at the love and the wonder of woman the time came when the last food was gone the high peaks receded the divides became lower and the way opened promisingly to the west but their reserves of strength were gone and without food the time quickly followed when they lay down at night and in the morning did not arise smoke weakly gained his feet collapsed and on hands and knees crawled about the building of a fire but try as she would Libisque sank back each time in an extremity of weakness and smoke sank down beside her a wan sneer on his face for the automatism that had made him struggle for an unneeded fire there was nothing to cook and the day was warm a gentle breeze sighed in the spruce trees and from everywhere under the disappearing snow came the trickling music of unseen streamlets the Bisquie lay in a stupor her breathing so imperceptible that often smoke thought her dead in the afternoon the chattering of a squirrel aroused him dragging the heavy rifle he wallowed through the crust That had become slush he crept on hands and knees or stood upright and fell forward in the direction of the squirrel that chattered its wrath and fled slowly and tantalizingly before him he had not the strength for a quick shot and the squirrel was never still at times smoke sprawled in the wet snow melt and cried out of weakness other times the flame of his life flickered and blackness smote him how long he lay in the last faint he did not know but he came to shivering in the chill of evening his wet clothing frozen to the reforming crust the squirrel was gone and after a weary struggle he went back to the side of lobisqui so profound was his weakness that he lay like a dead man through the night nor did dreams disturb him the sun was in the sky the same squirrel chattering through the trees when lobisqui's hand on smoke's cheek awakened him put your hand on my heart lover she said her voice clear but faint and very far away my heart is my love and you hold it in your hand a long time seemed to go by ere she spoke again remember always there is no way south that is well known to the caribou people west that is the way and you are almost there and you will make it and smoke drowsed in the numbness that is near to death until once more she aroused him put your lips on mine she said i will die so we will die together sweetheart was his answer no a feeble flutter of her hand checked him and so thin was her voice that scarcely did he hear it yet did he hear all of it Her hand fumbled and groped in the hood of her parka, and she drew forth a pouch that she placed in his hand, and now your lips, my lover, your lips on my lips, and your hand on my heart. And in that long kiss darkness came upon him again, and when again he was conscious he knew that he was alone, and he knew that he was to die, he was really glad that he was to die, he found his hand resting on the pouch. With an inward smile at the curiosity that made him pull the drawstring, he opened it, out poured a tiny flood of food there was no particle of it that he did not recognize all stolen by Libisque from Libisqui, bread fragments saved far back in the day's ere lost the flour strips and strings of caribou meat partly gnawed crumbles of suet the hind leg of the snowshoe rabbit untouched the hind leg and part of the fore leg of the white weasel the wing dented still by her reluctant teeth and the leg of the snowbird. pitiful remnants tragic renunciations crucifixions of life morsels stolen from her terrible hunger by her incredible love with maniacal laughter smoke flung it all out on the hardening snow crust and went back into the blackness he dreamed the yukon ran dry in its bed among muddy pools of water and ice-scoured rocks he wandered, picking up fat nugget gold the weight of it grew to be a burden to him till he discovered that it was good to eat and greedily he ate after all of what worth was gold that men should prize it so save that it was good to eat he awoke to another sun his brain was strangely clear no longer did his eyesight blur the familiar palpitation that had vexed him through all his frame was gone the juices of his body seemed to sing as if the spring had entered him blessed well-being had come to him he turned to awaken libiscui and saw and remembered he looked for the food flung out on the snow it was gone and he knew that in delirium and dream it had been the yukon nugget gold in delirium and dream he had taken heart of life from the life sacrifice of lobisqui who had put her heart in his hand and opened his eyes to woman and wonder he was surprised at the ease of his movements astounded that he was able to drag her fur-wrapped body to the exposed thawed gravel bank which he undermined with the axe and caved upon it three days with no further food he fought west in the mid-third day he fell beneath a lone spruce beside a wide stream that ran open and which he knew must be the klondike ere blackness conquered him he unlashed his pack said good-bye to the bright world and rolled himself in the robes chirping sleeping noises awoke him the long twilight was on above him among the spruce boughs were ptarmigan hunger bit him into instant action though the action was infinitely slow five minutes passed before he was able to get his rifle to his shoulder and a second five minutes passed ere he dared lying on his back and aiming straight upward to pull the trigger it was a clean miss no bird fell but no bird flew they ruffled and rustled stupidly and drowsily his shoulder pained him the second shot was spoiled by the involuntary wince he made as he pulled trigger somewhere in the last three days though he had no recollection how he must have fallen and injured it the ptarmigan had not flown he doubled and redoubled the rope that had covered him and humped it in the hollow between his right arm and his side resting the butt of the rifle on the fur he fired again and a bird fell he clutched it greedily and found that he had shot most of the meat out of it the large calibre bullet had left little else than a mess of mangled feathers still the ptarmigan did not fly and he decided that it was heads or nothing. he fired only at heads he reloaded and reloaded the magazine he missed he hit and the stupid ptarmigan that were loath to fly fell upon him in a rain of food lives disrupted that his life might feed and live there had been nine of them and in the end he clipped the head of the night and lay and laughed and wept he knew not why the first he ate raw then he rested and slept while his life assimilated the life of it in the darkness he awoke hungry with strength to build a fire and until early dawn he cooked and ate crunching the bones to powder between his long idle teeth he slept awoke in the darkness of another night and slept again to another sum he noted with surprise that the fire crackled with fresh fuel and that a blackened coffee-pot steamed on the edge of the coals beside the fire within arm's length sat shorty smoking a brown paper cigarette and intently watching him smoke's lips moved but a throat paralysis seemed to come upon him while his chest was suffused with the menace of tears he reached out his hand for the cigarette and drew the smoke deep into his lungs again and again i have not smoked for a long time he said at last in a low calm voice for a very long time nor eaten from your looks shorty added gruffly smoke nodded and waved his hand at the ptarmigan feathers that lay all about not until recently he returned. Do you know? I'd like a cup of coffee, it will taste strange. Also, flapjacks and a strip of bacon and beans, Shorty tempted. They would taste heavenly. I find I'm quite hungry again. While the one cooked and the other ate, they told briefly what had happened to them in the days since their separation. The kleindike was breaking up, Shorty concluded his recital, and we just had to wait for open water. Two Poland boats, six other men, you know them all and cracker jacks and all kinds of outfit and we've sure been a-comin polin lining up and portigin but the falls'll stick em a solid week that's where i left em a cuttin a trail over the tops of the bluffs for the boats i just had a sure natural hunch to keep a-comin so I fills a pack with grub and starts i knew i'd find you a driftin and all in smoke nodded and put forth his hand in a silent grip well let's get started he said start at hell shorty exploded we stay right here and rest you up and feed you up for a couple of days smoke shook his head if you could just see yourself shorty protested and what he saw was not nice smoke's face wherever the skin showed was black and purple and scabbed from repeated frostbite. the cheeks were fallen in so that despite the covering of beard the upper rows of teeth ridged the shrunken flesh across the forehead and about the deep sunk eyes the skin was stretched drum-tight while the scraggly beard that should have been golden was singed by fire and filthy with camp smoke better pack up smoke said i'm going on but you're feeble as a kid baby you can't hike what's the rush shorty i'm going after the biggest thing in the klondike and i can't wait that's all start packing it's the biggest thing in the world it's bigger than lakes of gold and mountains of gold bigger than adventure and meat-eating and bear-killing shorty sat with bulging eyes in the name of the lord what is it he queried huskily or are you just simple loco no i am all right perhaps a fellow has to stop eating in order to see things at any rate i have seen things i never dreamed were in the world and i know what a woman is now shorty's mouth opened and about the lips and in the light of the eyes was the whimsical advertisement of the sneer forthcoming don't please smoke said gently you don't know-i do shorty gulped and changed his thought huh i don't need no hunch to guess her name the rest of em has gone up to the drainin of surprise lake but joy gastel allowed she wouldn't go she's stickin around dawson waitin to see if i come back with you and she sure swears if i don't she'll sell her holdin's and hire an a army of gunfighters and go into the caribou country and knock the everlasting stuffin out of old Snass and his whole gang and if you'll hold your horses a couple of shakes i reckon i'll get packed up and ready to hike along with you end of chapter twelve part three end of smoke blue by jack london